0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. It's good to have you today. We've got a lot to cover, so we're going to dive right in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 17. We're getting close to the end of the book of Revelation, and I thank the Lord for that because this is the hardest preaching I've ever done in my life. I mean, golly, I, get, I always dig and I enjoy digging in deep in the sermons, but man, this, this is a whole different animal, um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed all that the Lord has been teaching me, and I just absolutely love the Bible. It's a, fascinating, um, it's a fascinating piece of literature that teaches us about who God is, but it also teaches us a lot about history, teaches a lot about um, God's story to man, and that's what fascinates me the most about the Bible is that it has this incredible harmony, and it tells the story that it's just kind of this thread of uh, God is going to redeem fallen man throughout. And what, what's interesting is, you know, I, I don't know who, uh, who made this quote famous, but someone has said a long time ago that the Bible is, is, is shallow enough for an infant to wade in, but it's deep enough that the most advanced scholar could never touch the bottom. And I found that to be true. And I've also found that, um, that a lot of times people will get tripped up on the word because they say, man, it contradicts itself. The Bible contradicts itself. But what you will find is that most of the time people who say that are people who have never actually studied it and read it. they just kind of nitpicking and finding one thing that says one thing over here and says something different here and they don't understand the complete context of uh, what the scripture is saying and they're they're making an inaccurate interpretation. The longer that you study the Bible (laughs) and the more that you teach from the Bible, the more you see how deep the harmony is. Like, it's, in, it's it's fascinating to me. From Genesis to Revelation, we start with a garden in Genesis, we end up with a city in Revelation, and God is telling this story about how Man has fallen. He is holy. He's going to put man um, in a right standing with him through a perfect sacrifice that can only be made by he himself, and he becomes a man, Jesus Christ, and makes that sacrifice. And along the way, there are all of these pictures. And so when we get to Revelation, um, we, we have a picture of really all of it from the start to the end. And it's a lot of symbology that is used in numbers and uh, imagery to help people understand and remember that when we have word pictures like some of the things you start talking about, a, a a a prostitute dressed in red and purple and riding a beast, you can remember that, right? That's just something that kind of sticks in your head. And that's kind of what it was designed to do, and it was also designed for them to be able to communicate some of the things that were happening during the time of the riding when they were being oppressed, um, that would keep them from writing documents against even Rome itself, who was actually persecuting them, and some of the Jewish people as well uh, that were wanting to persecute believers. But when we look at um, Genesis chapter 10, I'm going to start in Genesis and end in Revelation, kind of like I did last week, but it won't take as long, I hope. Quentin doesn't like it when I say that, because he says, every time I say that, it takes longer but uh, it's all right. We'll get there. So in Genesis chapter 10, we have this guy by the name of Nimrod, all right? Watch Bugs Bunny. Remember he used to call Elmer Fudd a Nimrod. Remember that? You guys know who Bugs Bunny is? Yeah, Yeah. all right. And I always thought that a Nimrod, I always thought that a Nimrod was a dumb person because the way Bugs Bunny referred to Elmer Fudd, and Bugs Bunny, by far the coolest cartoon ever. Um, but uh, the, the actual Nimrod means a mighty hunter, and that's why Bugs Bunny called Elmer Fudd a Nimrod, sarcastically, because he, couldn't, um, he never could harvest Bugs Bunny. So anyway, we, we read about Nimrod here in Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. It says, Cush was the father, and this is right after the flood, and it's given us the genealogy of people after post-flood. And it says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first sinners of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Arkad, and Kalna, in Shinar. Okay? And so the one I want you to key in on is he was the founder of Babylon. Okay, Babylon is always a city that is important in the Bible. It has symbolic meaning. So we drop to chapter 11, and we have the infamous story of the Tower of Babel. How do we get all of the religions in the world today? Well, the Christian worldview and the Bible has an answer for that. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of, this whole, of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Okay, so this is not like a Jack and the Beanstalk thing. This is not like, hey, we're building a tower so we can get to heaven. No, they were building an edifice that would remind them of how powerful they were. And what we have here is the birth of humanism, the birth of a pagan religion that was apart from God. That's why God was upset with it as they were rebelling. They were moving away from God and they were looking at what they could do when they came together with a common language. It was filled with pride. It was filled with prosperity and rebellion from God. That was what marked um, this city of Babel. And so Nimrod is behind founding that. And so God comes down, and he confuses the language, and they scatter because they cannot communicate with one another. So where you might be able to talk to your buddy and communicate with him. All of a sudden, you were not able to communicate with him, but you could communicate with other people, and it formed different people groups, and the people scattered. And they took roots of this religion, this humanistic religion with them, all over the places that they scattered and settled. That's why in the world today, when we look at all of the different religions, we got pantheism and all of these, polytheism, all of these different religions that exist, they're very similar and the reason that they're very similar, and there are different things about all of them, um, but they're very similar because they have this common thread running throughout them. But all of them are rebelling from the Judeo-Christian God of the Bible. And so that is a Christian worldview. as how we give an explanation for all of the differing religions that are existent in the world today. And so what we see here is that God comes down and he confuses the language. Now, what's interesting, and I'll just toss this out along the way, is that the only thing that brings back a common language is God himself. Remember the day of Pentecost, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, Jesus rises from the dead. He tells his disciples to go and wait um, and that the Holy Spirit will come upon them. And so on the day of Pentecost, that is the day the Spirit of God came down and indwelt the believer And what do they do? They come out of hiding, they go out in the streets, and they're speaking in a language that everybody can understand. So it is Babel reversed, and it comes through what? Following God. So what is messed up in the Old Testament of rebelling against God is corrected in the New Testament spiritually by Christ's arrival, his perfect sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, his resurrection, and his sending the Holy Spirit. And so we have the triune God. God the Father in the Old Testament is being rebelled against. God the Son in the New Testament is coming and fixing the fall of man. And God the Holy Spirit is now indwelling the believer who is pursuing God in spirit and truth. And that's why Jesus tells the woman at the well, God seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth not just worshipers who will worship him any way that they want. That's what he confused in the Old Testament at the Tower of Babel. He's looking for worshipers who will worship him with spirit and truth. How do we know that we're worshiping God in spirit and truth? Well, we better have some evidence, and that's why the Bible becomes so important for us, because it tells a story. It's God's story, and it's a story that is hammered out over a number of years, thousands of years by differing different authors and so when people say man you believe a book that men wrote yes that's what's so miraculous about it is that men wrote it and it has harmony and you can't get men to harmonize on anything today right and so we look at it we go man there's there's the incredible hand of God is all over the pages of scripture that's why we look at it and say it is the inspired In uh, inerrant word of God, and we can trust it, and it is God's story to us, and it is being, and so in the redemption of man through um, Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and now we have the Spirit of God living in us, and we have a common language. This is fascinating to me, because I can go, and I can be in line somewhere, checking out, and all of a sudden get into a conversation with someone, and not get very deep in the conversation, but very quickly figure out, both of us figure out we're believers. Why is that? It's a common language. It's the common language of the Spirit of God living in both of us, each one of us, and so we recognize Jesus in the other person, and that is the harmony that God is after and what he has restored after um, the fall through the crucifixion and resurrection of himself on the cross of Calvary, and so here's the deal is that all of this talk of Babylon. So I start in Genesis, and we see Babylon, and it's founded by Nimrod. It is marked by rebellion. And all throughout the the pages of Old Testament Scripture, you will see the city of Babylon oppressing the people of God. As a matter of fact, they carry them away in captivity. God even uses the city of Babylon. But ultimately, Babylon falls, but Babylon is still referred to. And Babylon is referred to throughout the pages of Scripture because it always symbolizes wickedness, okay? And so now we get to Revelation chapter 17 and 18, we see the fall of Babylon. So this week, we, we, we're going to look at the fall, and, and I don't know how deep we'll go into next week because it's really descriptive of what we're going to talk about this week. But let me read it to you and just understand that Babylon is a, is a picture of a city— that is rebellious toward God, always has been, always will be. So when we start in Revelation chapter 17, we're going to see a lot of symbology, and I'll explain it to you um, as I understand it. It says, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, remember last week we looked at the bowls that were poured out, so the one, probably the the last bowl, he comes and he he had the seven bowls, one of them, and he said to me, come, and I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute Who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. This word mystery here is the Greek word mysterion. And in the Bible, it doesn't mean a mystery like we can't figure out. It means that it's something that God has hidden but is now revealing. And so she, her name written on her forehead was a mystery, and God is revealing it to us. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. She's the mother of everything that is against God. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. This is John says, man, in this vision, I saw this this harlot babylon and i was astonished and the angel said to me why are you astonished i will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides which has the seven heads and the ten horns the beast which you saw once was now is not and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction the inhabitants of the earth and that is a way it sometimes it talks about earth dwellers that's people who are not believers who live on the earth the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of uh, life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was, now is not, and will, yet will come. It says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was, and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven, is going to his destruction. <laughs> That's why this is hard to preach on. It <laughs> so says that the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as king along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast, and they will wage war against the lamb. But the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten, horses, or ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. And so what we see here is that God, ultimately, this is about the word of God. Why is all of this happening? Why is God allowing this authority to go to this wicked, evil, descriptive thing that we've just talked about? It is to fulfill the word of God. Remember that we learn in, in um, Revelation that the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So prophecy is all about us understanding that there is a miraculous thing happening when prophecy ends up getting fulfilled is that showing that, man, this is is not of man, this is of God. God used a man to prophesy something, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of years before it would happen, and then it is fulfilled, and so we can look at that and go, man, there is no way this could have happened unless God were behind it, because the people that were writing about it, it didn't happen until hundreds of years after um, the time that it was prophesied about. And so when we look at all of this, there are many different ways to approach this text and make interpretations on it. And some will go through and, and talk about uh, the Antichrist and how all of this can play out. I'm not going to do that today. What I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to show you from what I understand figuratively, this, this, is, this passage is teaching is that it would, it would be a common thread on either way, whether you uh, come about it and you interpret it uh, figuratively or literally. Um, these things that I'm going to teach you today, that what the Lord has shown me, I think apply to our lives, that they teach us something that we can take away, and how, do I, how does it impact how I live on a daily basis? First of all, the woman is a harlot who leads people into adultery. Now, in the Bible, and we know this when we studied the Minor Prophets, the adultery that is talked about is not like adultery, sexually physical adultery that a man and, and a woman would be engaged in. This is spiritual adultery against God. And so this is when people are adulterating the very relationship that they are to have with God. So we go back to the Tower of Babel. What were they doing? They were committing adultery. God comes down and confuses it. And then later on, we get the promise to Abraham, and Abraham's gonna be a father of many nations, and Israel comes out of that, and God hammers out all of this prophetic word through the nation of Israel so that all the world can look back and study about this nation who were the chosen people of God, and we can have evidence and place our faith and trust in something it is actually real, not a blind leap in the dark. If anybody tells you that as a Christian, you are taking a blind leap in the dark, that is a foolish statement. You have more evidence to base your faith on than any other religion in the world. Okay? And that's encouraging to me. That's why the Bible is so important, and that's why the Bible is always being attacked throughout the ages. And right now there is a visceral attack against the Word of God, against trusting what it says, trusting whether or not we can um, live according to it. And culture is dictating what is happening in many churches. And so, so it's our commitment as a ministry that we will stand on the word of God, because we really have no business being a church. Of Christ, if we're not gonna trust the word, because everything we know about Christ is in the word. And so it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to start changing the word. And so the woman is a harlot who leads people into spiritual adultery. Now, obviously, she's not a single woman, just one woman. It's just a symbol of, of what's going on here. The heads and the horns represent the fullness of power held by evil kingdoms who prosecute God's or persecute God's people. So throughout time, God's people have undergone persecution. And really, there's a little, there's in some countries of the world today, there is incredible persecution going on by the woman. That's why we look over what happened in Afghanistan and the Christians over there are weeping. Is because the woman is about to persecute them and become drunk on their blood. That has been going on since the time Christ rose from the dead. It will go on all the way until the return of Christ, and in time, it will get more intense as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ. It will intensify how uh, Christians are being persecuted, and we see some of that even happening in a nation that we would recognize a Christian nation. Now, it's very light, but there's some, there's some persecution going on right now, not in the sense that you can't buy or sell, but you're You're labeled. If you if you believe what I just said about the Bible, you are labeled a fundamentalist, and it's not very far from away from being a bigot. Okay? That's what's happening in our culture. That's not the way America was a few years ago. Okay? So we look back 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, we go back 75 years or so, and, and it would be unheard of to say some of the things that are being said by our leaders in this country. Why is that? They're becoming drunk and intoxicated by the woman who rides the beast, and they're becoming drunk on the blood of God's people. Okay, now I'm gonna, I'll get back to that here in a moment after I make some application. This this makes sense to me. I hope I don't confuse you. Um, And so the beast, the beast, he has a red color, and this identifies him with the dragon. The dragon was red. We learned that back in chapter 12 when we learned about the woman and the dragon. And so this is, um, the dragon is symbolic in the book of Revelation of Satan, okay? The fallen angel who leads, according to the word of God, who leads a rebellion, who leads the city of Babylon, okay? And so the royal attire represents kingship and authority, And so this woman and this beast that are colored in this royal attire, they represent a false authority and a false kingship. The woman is not to be equated with the beast. She is not the beast. She rides the beast. She represents the ungodly world, i.e. the state, the culture, and the religion. That is who the woman is. And so when we see pagan religion, when we see the state and whatever time, if we went back to the early Christians as it was written to, it would be Rome. Right now, it would be political powers that are in place that rebel against the truth of God, represent um, who this woman is. And so the woman, again, is not the beast. She represents the state, like all that is political, all that is happening in the world all of these work to persecute Christians and deceive people. She is draped with precious products. What is that about? That is economic prosperity. So when we look to the woman and we look to the city of Babylon, we're always looking at ways in which we can prosper economically. This is why the Bible teaches that the love of money is the root of evil, because the power of Babylon is always wrapped up in the economy. The Bible does not teach that money is evil. It teaches the love of money as evil, because when our love is wrapped up in money and treasure, then we will be led astray by the woman who rides on the beast in whatever period of history that we may be living in. When we approach the time of Christ, this woman will be so powerful that she will lead many astray. Jesus even says, pray that these days will be shortened, or they will be shortened, so that even the elect may not be deceived. That's what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. And so any institution that is characterized by pride, economic abundance, and idolatry is a part of Babylon. Whether we're talking about 100 years ago, 500 years ago, or 500 years into the future, any institution that is characterized by pride, economic abundance, and idolatry is part of Babylon the woman and the beast express themselves throughout the ages. Before the return of Christ, as I said, she will become incredibly powerful and appear to be invincible. As a matter of fact, it will appear as if all of God's people have been completely destroyed and there's little hope for the truth of the gospel. She will be judged at that time and Christ's bride will be revealed. So we have the contrast of two women. Babylon spawns faithless children while the bride produces faithful children. So if we have a church that looks like and sounds like Christ, but then we see that it's it's perverting the word of God, it very well could be a church that has been led astray and captivated by Babylon. And now it is producing faithless children. They do good, they sound good, but when you get down to the root of who they are and what they believe about who Christ is and what he is calling us to in obedience, they don't line up with that. They may do a lot of good in the world. And so when we say the city of Babylon, we're not saying that a lot of people are running around and they're they're dressed and cloaked in black and and they're devil worshipers. No, man. The city of Babylon is filled with citizens that are good, they just don't know Jesus. That's the difference. And so we see these two cities here, and um, the harlot, she represents, um, as I said, satanically infused political and religious institutions throughout the ages. Babylon is the city of Satan. The church is the city of God. They are in opposition to each other. The bride rescues the perishing. The, 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 The harlot destroys them. And so the prophecy is to keep us alert so that we are not deceived, because those who are spiritually ignorant can be taken off guard and led astray. So we are given a prophecy to talk about how things will play out from the time of Christ's resurrection and the giving of the Spirit until his return, and how they will intensify prior to his return. And so throughout the ages, there will always be this attack. This is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and, and spiritual wickedness and high places. And so he says that, that, again, no weapon that is formed against us can prosper if we're functioning as citizens of the city of God. But if we believe, and we say we believe in Christ, but we try to live according to the city of Babylon— then the the weapons that are made for our warfare are not available to us because we don't know how to use them, okay? So like this this is what this picture is all about. Ultimately... Um, evil will defeat itself and be judged by Christ. As, you, as we see in the last part of uh, chapter 17, it says that the beast will turn on the woman. All that is military, there will be a leader involved, and all the, the military might will turn against all of the religious and political might. They will fight one another. God will allow it to happen. Jesus will return. Judgment will happen, and the bride of Christ will be revealed. So they will turn on one another. It's kind of interesting that Jesus says a house divided against itself cannot stand. That's where the city of Babylon is headed. Now, ultimately, Jesus is the one who destroys that. The city of Babylon ultimately will come against Jesus and his followers, and he is the king of kings and lord of lords, and with a word, it will be over. In light of this prophecy, how is a believer to live? (laughs) How are you to live this week? What, is it supposed, what difference is it supposed to make for you? First of all, you need to realize that all that glitters is not gold. Like, you got to understand that. Like, the woman looked good even to John the apostle. He was astonished at her sight. And so there are things that we have to take heed and understand, man, because we, are, we, live, in, like we live in the flesh right now. And until we are resurrected and receive glorified um, bodies like Jesus, we will struggle with sin. That is just basic Christian theology. And so our job is not to be led astray by the harlot who rides the beast and think it's okay just because we have the grace of God to cover our sin. We are to resist it. We are to do all that we can in order to overcome sin being the dominant force in our lives. Jesus is to be the dominant force in our lives. And so as we approach this, we have to realize that the woman has great influence. And as she rides the beast, she has a lot of glitter. She has a lot of shine. She is one that you would look at as a believer and often go, that looks really good. Okay? This is why we have to deal with temptation on this side of eternity. And so we look at this and we have to recognize that all that glitters is not gold. And it is often trying to lead us away from God. It is a powerful thing. Now, thankfully, we are not left to our own power. My allergies are wearing me out. They're just wearing me out this week. Thankfully, we're not left to our own power to overcome it but we should be mindful of its intoxicating power to deceive. She makes drunk all who drink from her her cup. Now, what do we know about drunkenness? Well, we know that the more that you are inebriated, the more foolish you become. Like, ultimately, if you drink too much and you keep going, somebody else literally has to take you home and take care of you until you sober up, right? And so she makes drunk people who get captivated and astonished with all that she has that glitters. That's why sometimes I scratch my head and I'm like, man, I, like, this all seems so clear to me. How do these friends of mine believe something so different than what I believe, how can they be so far off? It doesn't make any sense. They are drunk and they don't know it. And as a believer, I've got to be looking about how I can help them sober up spiritually. That's why the preaching of the gospel and the truth of the word is so important because it penetrates a hard heart. It awakens a dead man who's caught up in sin and he becomes alive in Christ and he is able to resist the temptation to follow all that is powerful about the woman, the great city of Babylon. And so we need to understand the intoxicating power of the, the, the evil system's ability to deceive. This is why, this is why, (laughs) this is why the country is in such a mess. Okay. The country is not in such a mess because a lot of political leaders have gotten liberal. A lot of political leaders have gotten really liberal in their thinking about things that, that it's just common sense. Okay. It's just common sense. When we look at how should a man or how should a woman live, it just takes common sense. And we've moved so far away from that because culture is dictating it. No longer is the word of God dictating it. And we go, well, how could that happen? How could a person be so unclear? They're not thinking um, biblically anymore. They're not thinking with clarity. They're thinking as one who has been captivated by the shininess of rebellion from God. So when we say and we look and we go, oh man, if we're going to get, uh, if we're going to get America turned around, man, then they get this guy in office or get that guy in office. The secret to turning America around are the people whose butts are sitting in pews all across the country. It's the only way you're going to turn it around. It's when people recognize I don't belong to the city of Babylon. I belong to the city of God. And I'm not going to be captivated by all that glitters around me. I recognize that it is powerful and it's going to try to lead me astray and woo me away from God. But I belong to God and I'm going to stay focused on God and Jesus is the most important thing in my life. And I'm going to do everything that I can to pursue an intimate relationship with him. And that's how a citizen of the kingdom is to function. And so the reason, like, the reason that some people, like, can say, man, I, I believe I'm a Christian. and then do things that are so unchristian, it's because they're drunk, okay? They're just drunk. And so we, we, I, There's part of us that we shouldn't just be getting into a fight with them. We should have compassion for them, because some of our weapons, the, the only way that we can destroy some of these things, Jesus said, is by prayer and fasting, and so arguing about them sometimes is not going to do anything any good at all, but maybe prayer and taking them before the throne and asking God to bring about a spiritual awakening among the people around us, that is the secret of the future of all we are as a country. That's what we were built on. Um, and so we have to recognize and realize all that glitters is not gold. Here's the second thing. You to get in the book. Again, in the book, verse eight says, those who aren't in the book of life will be captivated by the beast. They not only will be influenced, they will be captivated. And so what is the book of life? Well, is it a literal book? Probably not, but it is a literal image of all whose names have been recorded in the book of life. The life that is not physical life, but spiritual life. And so we we, we have to recognize those who are in the book that they will recognize the city of Babylon for what it is. But we should be mindful um, or, or we, should, we should also recognize that to be recorded in the book of life. So how do, how do I get my name in there? All right. This is really important. You say, well, I'd like my name re- written in the book of life the only way to be, listen, let me say this clearly. Your name is not written in the book of life because you've been baptized. Your name is not written in the book of life because you belong to this church, that church, or the other church. Your name does not uh, get in the book of life because you were confirmed at 12 years age, of age. Your name does not get written in, in the book of life because you were baptized as an infant. The only way to get your name in the book of life is the transforming power of Christ. You must be born again, Jesus said. It's the only way to get in there. And so we could look at a person, we can say, listen, why do, like, what is baptism about? Well, bapti- like, transformation leads to baptism, but baptism does not lead to transformation. There's two different things. Like transformed, transformed means that I recognize, like the, the, Jesus said, no one can come to the father unless the father draws him unto himself. And so God, through the power of the spirit who is coming against the city of Babylon, as she rides on this powerful beast and leads people astray, Jesus is always pictured as riding on a white horse and he's leading people to him. And how does he lead people to him? He first became the suffering servant that rode on a donkey in humility and gave his life for the sins of humanity. And then he rose from the dead and he's coming back again on that white horse. In the meantime, the spirit of God is moving throughout the hearts of men and trying to draw people out of the city of Babylon. All whose names are not written in the book of life will be captivated by the harlot who rides on the beast. But all who have recognized who Jesus is they've recognized that they're sinners they've encountered God drawing them unto themselves they've taken their free will and surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and said I no longer want to be Lord of my life I am a sinner Jesus I recognize that I'm a sinner forgive me of my sins I'm a broken man I'm a mess And in that moment in time, God pays for my sin because of my recognition of his perfect sacrifice on the cross, and I am born again. I once was an enemy of Christ, now I am reconciled unto God. My sins once remained, now they have been propitiated onto the cross of Calvary, where all the wrath of God fell on, God God the Father's wrath fell on God the, the Son, and so the wrath that is intended for me is no longer coming to me, because I have been covered by the blood of the lamb, and I have been born again. And when I'm born again, I clearly can begin to recognize the city of God and the city of Babylon. If I'm not born again, I can go to church. Listen, one of the fastest ways to hell is going to be right in the pew of the church. It doesn't, just because you go to church, doesn't make you a part of the city of God. It's so important that you have a spiritual birth certificate. Like, I, I know that I have encountered Jesus, and I don't know that I have encountered Jesus because I preach the Bible, and I don't know that I have encountered Jesus because my mom raised me in a Baptist church, and I don't know that I've encountered Jesus because you people come and listen to me preach. I know that I've encountered Jesus because Jesus met with me one-on-one and changed my life. I've been transformed, and so now I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so the, those who are in the book recognize evil for what it is. And to be recorded in the book is to be born of God. So you may be going, well, I, geez, like, I, maybe I'm not a Christian. What do I do? Well, one thing, one is you keep asking that question, okay? Don't push it away, If you're filled with pride, you'll be like, oh yes, I know my mom. I I remember my grandma read her Bible all the time and she loved me and prayed for me. I'm a Christian. Your grandma may be a Christian, but that doesn't make you aggressive. Okay. So you keep saying, well, am I, or am I not? Because there should be no doubt in your mind, whether or not you know the Lord. And if you're if you having some doubt, then you keep wrestling those questions with the Lord and He will lead you in truth and show you where He wants you to be. And so, um, and then I would also encourage you to go and just sit with the Lord and read out of the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. Just keep reading it until you, where Jesus is talking about being born again, and, and talk to the Lord and say, Lord, like if I haven't been born again, I want a spiritual birth certificate. And the Lord says, if you're not, the door shall be open. If you seek, you shall find. Okay? So get in the book. And then we learn in verse 9 that we should develop a mind with wisdom. He says, as he continues to unfold the prophecy and what it means, the angel tells John, This calls for a mind with wisdom. What in the world is that? Well, sometimes some of this stuff about the end times and we're unpacking this prophecy, Jesus coming back, and these judgments being pictured as awful, they could be a little bit frightening. Can they not? Like, oh, I'm ready to get back to, you know, can we get back to the gospel of John where Jesus heals the blind man? I like that story. <laughs> I like that story too. But these stories, men are like, whoa, man, judgment, and the end of time, and we're headed toward this climactic event. It's a little bit frightening, is it not? I mean, honestly, if we look at it, it, it is. It's, it's intimidating to preach about. It's intimidating to preach about the holiness of God, knowing that as I walk through this, man, that, that, that I still struggle with sin myself, but here I am called to preach the truth of the gospel. And so it's, it's, it's a struggle for all of us, and, and, it, and, and it could cause us to, like, look at that, and it can make us a little frightening. That's what it's designed to do. It is exactly what it is designed to do. We've become so culturally relevant that we're afraid to tell people of an impending judgment that is coming. We're afraid to tell people and talk about heaven and hell. (laughs) And the Bible clearly says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Now, I do not believe that you should manipulate people and try to get them to make decisions by using a scare tactic, but I do most emphatically, 100% wholeheartedly um, believe that we should have a fear of God. Like my kids, they better have a fear of me or I'm never going to be able to lead them and manage them. And they have always had a fear of me that I instilled in them at a young age. I will spank your rear if you don't do what I ask you to do. And I had to quit spanking my kids early. Why? Because the fear of father is the beginning of wisdom. And so they knew it is a wise thing to make this decision. It is an unwise thing to not make it. So the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God when I recognize, man, if I get outside of the the city of God and start living like a citizen of Babylon, I can expect the chastening of the Lord, especially if I belong to him and have a spiritual birth certificate. And so like the fear of God is a very healthy thing. We should not be running around afraid of God. Like, man, I, I wake up every morning and go to bed every night just blown away that the Lord even wants to talk to me. That just blows me away. I just wake up and just, just, it just, it's, just it's just a fascinating thought that the Lord would want to have a conversation with me. And because I know what he has redeemed me from. And so I don't have a fear of God that pushes me away from him. A healthy fear of God draws me to him. And so we have to have a mind with wisdom. And so once we are in the book with a spiritual birth certificate, we need to be in the book, okay? Our heads got to get an understanding of what the word of God is teaching. Because once we get that, that's how we develop discernment. I have the fear of God and the fear of God teaches me that the more that I understand about who God is in all of his perfection and holiness, the more that I pursue him, the more wisdom he will put into my life and the, uh, the, 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 the better I will be at recognizing the things of the city of Babylon and the things of the city of God. I become wise I become wise with how I use my money. I become wise with how I invest my money. I become wise with the way that I handle my relationship with my, my spouse. I become wise as a parent. I become wise as a pastor. I become wise as a businessman. I become wise because I'm becoming like God. Not becoming God. Becoming like God how am I becoming like God? He lives in me. Basic, fundamental, Christian doctrine, I am dwelt dwelt with the Spirit of God. And the more that I understand about the things of God, the more freedom that God puts into my life, and the more powerful of a presence I become on the planet. And so that's how we develop that discernment, which is the ability to recognize what God is calling us into. And perception enables us, this is so important, perception enables us to walk in obedience. I know what God is calling me to, so I can walk in obedience. And here comes the last point. And that obedience allows me to bear testimony to Jesus, which is what chapter or verse six says, that they bear testimony of Jesus. The harlot is intoxicated by the blood of those who bear testimony to Jesus. Now, this certainly has some symbolic meaning about persecution, the spilling of blood. But I think there's something that I've never seen until this week um, in study and preparation. Because at first glance, this appears to be a powerful statement about this harlot. Like, just look at verse 9. It says, where is it at? I saw that the woman, it's verse 6, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. The harlot is drunk on that. And so I think it's safe to say those who belong to God through a relationship in Jesus, who are in the book, who are becoming Uh, people who have a mind with wisdom, they confuse evil. Just like a person can be intoxicated by the harlot who sits on the scarlet beast, evil can be intoxicated and confused by the way that I live my life because I belong to Jesus. And so that's why the things of the Bible become so important. That's why the spirit or the the discipline of prayer and being in the word and fasting and and walking in obedience becomes so important because it confuses the evil around me because I'm living according to a law that is not of this world. It says in uh, Galatians, it says that the the deeds of the flesh are, it talks about all of these things, fornication and lying and, and, and bickering and all of this stuff. It said, but the law, there is no law against the spirit. What does that mean? It means that when I'm walking according to the spirit, that all of the corrupt stuff around me that has fallen in evil doesn't know how to come against that because it is not of this world. Everything of this world is of Babylon until the king on the white horse comes back and claims it for his own. He's purchased it, but he hasn't possessed it. He just possesses the people that know him right now. We're headed toward this climactic event where he will come and reclaim The world that is rightfully uh, his. And so we are the Lord's, and nothing can snatch us out of his hand. And that brings us to the big idea. In verse 14, we are the called, we are the chosen, we are the faithful followers of Jesus. And so, man, if I walk through life this way this week, and we go, oh, man, there's two ways you approach this and go, oh man, I need to pray because Pastor Jimmy said I need to pray. You're thinking like a citizen of Babylon. I don't have time to pray. Why? Because I'm so focused on all that's shiny and glittery. That's a citizen of Babylon. you got to be looking and going, I'm going to talk to Jesus today, man, so that I have some discernment and some wisdom and I can recognize all of this fallen crap that is going on around me and I can walk in the power and demonstration of the spirit. That's how we are to live because we are the called, we are the chosen and we belong to Jesus. And it says that when he returns that boom, like just with a twinkling of an eye, things will be changed. And with a flash, this war that is described will be over because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he brings with him the called, the chosen, the faithful followers of his. Be encouraged today. Evil may have its day, but it doesn't have us. Amen? Like wherever we go, like evil may have its day at work. We, we may get a little bit frustrated by things are going, how are they're going, but it doesn't have us always be reminded, man, I got a spiritual birth certificate. I've been transformed by the power of Christ. And whatever comes against me, neither life, nor death, nor angel, nor demon, nor principality, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. I'm his. Nothing can snatch me out of his hand. And so we belong to Jesus. And he's coming back for his bride. And we can see these two contrasts of these two women that are described, the bride of Christ in chapter 12, Israel and the, and the church. And then we see in chapter 19, when we get to these most incredible um, b- chapters in the book of Revelation about all that is coming in the future as the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ is revealed to all of humanity. And every tongue, and every, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Even those without a spiritual birth certificate will confess it. But when they confess it, all those who have the spiritual birth certificate will be the radiant bride of Christ as Jesus returns on the white horse and he lifts the veil of the bride and all of the world and all of the evil goes. Look at what Jesus did as he redeemed sinful humanity from the fall. And that's what this whole thing is about. And that's why the enemy is using things to distract us that are shining. And we have to be reminded. And John receives this revelation on the island of Patmos, when our forefathers, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the early church were being persecuted. They were being killed by believing in Jesus. And and Jesus reveals a vision to John. And the prophecy goes that I'm coming back for you. You just be faithful. You are mine. And nothing can come against you. Even in death, you are mine. There's no sting in it. And so as we partake of communion today, We must be encouraged we must be focused about all that is available to us in the kingdom and the reason that we partake of communion the reason that we take that that bread and we we eat it and it is a crushing of the body of christ and we partake of the juice because it is a a symbolic meaning of all that has been washed away in me spiritually And he says, I'm not going to eat. (laughs) He does this with the apostles in the upper room. Do this in remembrance of me. Because I won't do it again until I come back for my bride. And that will include us at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. So the communion cups are in front of you. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and you you just have a time of personal worship there and partake of the elements. And then I'll come back up, have a few closing remarks um, and let you get out of here and, and get to our business. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the word, Lord. We thank you for the prophecy that you gave to, to the apostle John in Revelation. Thank you for enlightening us, Lord. Help us to live this out. Help us to have minds of wisdom. Help us, Lord, to, to be in the book. And help us, Lord, to recognize we belong to the city of God, your city, the new Jerusalem. And that you're coming back for us. We love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.